Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is TV worth talking about. You didn't float up the wagon on a bubble. I'm veering towards muffins. Stop making a turkey self and piss off. This is Shrine of Duty. You are very welcome to this week's Shrine of Duty. I'm Hannah. I'm Brendan. And I'm Rebecca. And don't worry, you are not in a pandemic-induced state of delirium. It is still Monday. You haven't doom-scrolled your way to Wednesday morning without realising. Rest assured, we are coming to you a little early this week for two reasons. Number one, we just love you. And number two, we have a wee little surprise, hopefully happening later in the week. More on both of those things later on. This evening, I am on email. Wait, 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 wait. And number three, there's a third reason we're coming to you early this week. Happy birthday, Hannah. Happy birthday, Hannah, tomorrow. Guys, and you already sent me the most beautiful bunch of flowers. Like if I, if that was my wedding bouquet, I'd be chuffed. What did the Um, card say? Will I go over and get it at the window? Right, hang on. There might be a little bit of banging. One moment, please. (laughs) Please hold, caller. One moment, poor poor. And also, Suso is asleep at Hannah's feet at the moment. Suso is Hannah's gorgeous Dog. dog. Well, if you did mention Suso, I predicted that there will be an issue with her being in the podcasting room, which is why I podcasted from a car. And now she wants to be let out of the door, uh, which in which I guarantee within 10 minutes, you'll want to be let back in. So I'm, I'm letting her out, then I'm reading the cards, then we're starting the podcast. Hang okay. on. Brendan, tell us what you bought in the pharmacy earlier. <laughs> <laughs> what are you like? In the meantime. So obviously we're still we're about? still in a lockdown in Dublin. It has been 84 years. Oh. And I was in deals earlier <laughs> and I picked up and I am proud to say it guys, I picked up a foot peel. Can you so, tell us about how this so works? So they are like these little booties that you <laughs> cut open and you stick your feet in them they're fucking rotten. They're all like slimy and cold and they obviously have some sort of like a light enough acid and you sit your feet in them for like an hour like maybe while you're watching an episode of Line of Duty take your feet out pat them down dry them off and on the label it says <laughs> your skin will begin to fall off in 7 to 10 days revealing Brendan, I'm gonna get sick. <laughs> soft smooth skin underneath does it fall off like just in one layer no or does it come you don't really notice bit? it you kind of have to get an old towel out of it, you know like a crusty one and scrub Guys, wow it's, been, it's no. been a while since we've been able to get the pedicure that's why I've bought a foot peel out of the pound shop Brendan, sorry Hannah the have you got the card yet well. I feel like your toes will be peeling off now with that <laughs> with a bit and of luck I've got the card <laughs> I've got the card it reads and I can't believe that you did you transcribe this to a flower delivery I did person? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
It says, and the handwriting is gorgeous. Internally proud of your BBC TV debut. 30, flirty and thriving. We veered towards gorge flowers for this special day and they're honestly, daisies are my favourite flowers in the world. You couldn't have picked a more perfect bunch. And then it says, happy 30th. And then it says, help me, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. And it's Tony is spelled correctly, which is, T-O-N-E-H. How did you get the person to write it down so well? On the phone, I was like, help me, Tony. And it spelled yeah. T. No, I didn't. It was on the internet. If you could please spell it, Tony. <laughs> it was on the internet. I didn't have to actually speak to anyone. <laughs> oh, well, guys, they made my day and they're here beside me in my new plush podcasting area. Um, So thank you so much because I'm all of a flap turn in 30, I must tell you. Um, so it made it a lot easier. Right, this evening I'm on email theories and Jesus, Mary and Joseph and the wee baby donkey, they were plentiful. The one and only Brendan O'Loughlin has your social theories and our line of juicies. But the first, the irreverent, the glamorous, the dynamic <laughs> Rebecca Shackleton had the mammoth task of recapping that episode. Who has fathered who? Is Tommy dead? Is Marcus Thurwell dead? Are we all dead? And this whole pandemic has been a strange, limbo-esque nightmare. <laughs> Rebecca, for the love of God, will you tell us what happened in Line of Duty, Season 6, Episode 6? Take it away, bitch. Well, in the words of Winifred Sanderson, thank you for that marvellous introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. Will we go for it here now? Okay. Shall we go for it? Sirens wail as AFOs rush to the scene of the cliffhanger shooting. We discovered that Ryan, the bent bastard Pilkington, has been killed by two gunshot wounds to the chest, RIP Ryan and a massive well done to Gregory Piper for sending chills down our spines with those death stares all the way back since season one Uh, really quickly here can we just give a shout out to Gregory Piper who put a lovely post on his Instagram thanking everyone cast crew friends family supporters for his time on Line of Duty Uh, we'll share it on our own social at Shrine Pod but he signed it off guys as Ryan the Bent Bastard Pilkington oh I love him and we had him on. Remember, we had him on the podcast, guys. Yeah. He's in the season five coverage in the OCG special and Gregory Piper couldn't have been nicer. And he gave us a little bent bastard as well. It was great. Yeah, he kept shouting, you bent bastard after we asked him. He's great crack. Okay, right. So the really strange thing at the scene of the shooting is that Joe and Kate are nowhere to be seen. So a search is underway. Ted is fuming that Carmichael pulled the surveillance and she notes that Joe's OCG links um, will probably mean that she is the shooter. But Ted does point out that Kate was carrying an authorised firearm for her own protection, okay? I was so confused as to why Kate wouldn't have been there. Guys, I was so confused for the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Why did they leave lots of theories on that though, guys? I'm glad because I'm still confused and I've watched this episode twice and recapped it, okay? They then get word that Kate's service vehicle has been located and found abandoned. Carmichael asks Steve where Kate would go. He says he has no idea. She then orders the arrest of Davidson and Fleming, who are considered to be armed and dangerous. And suddenly, my friends, line of duty turns all Thelma and Louise. It really did. 
So Kate and Joe use the back entrance of Steve's flat, a person who Kate says she can trust completely. Joe says she'd nothing to do with the surveillance being pulled by Carmichael and the chief. Kate says she doesn't have the foggiest about what's going on, but all she knows is that someone is behind all of this. Now, in the car park, Kate accuses Joe of trying to lure her to her death. And she says that now Ryan is dead, she is in the frame for it. Joe tries to prove her loyalty to Kate by putting her fingerprints on Kate's gun. She also brings up how she always thought Kate was pretending just to try and gain her trust. But Kate now, she shuts down the romance talk and she gets Steve's keys from a storage locker. The pair get into Steve's grown-up car, which is a glam Mazda that he's treated himself to since becoming a DI and they hit the road. (laughs) It was absolutely gorgeous, guys. I was also really nervous when I didn't understand when I first watched it why Joe was like, give me your gun. I was like, oh my God, is she going to shoot herself? Is she going to shoot Kate? But no, she wanted to put her fingerprints on the gun so that she could take responsibility for killing Ryan. It was a stressful moment though. It was stressful. Right. Meanwhile, at AC12HQ, Chloe takes Osborne's picture down from the Operation Lighthouse evidence wall and she shreds it under the orders of DCS Carmichael. Not suspicious at all. She's staring her out of it. She is fantastic in this episode. Right, back at the Mazda, Kate is asking Joe loads of questions, right? Joe explains that she wanted a former anti-corruption officer on her team because she thought it might help her resist what they were forcing her to do. Joe says they have controlled her since she entered the force. The more she did their bidding, the more they had over her. And Kate begs Joe to prove that she isn't bent because she'll get witness protection. And Joe nearly says Tommy Hunter's name here when she's going on about how, no matter how powerful a person is, when they turn, they get killed. Kate is then like, listen, we know you're related to Tommy Hunter. We know that he's your dad. Wait, no, that's not true. No, she no, doesn't sorry. say that there. I read yeah. the wrong line there. She says, we know you're related to Tommy Hunter, so tell me everything you know. And Joe says that her mom was Tommy's sister and that her dad was a bent police officer. Interesting. We'll come back to that later. Joe then leads Kate on a route past Gail Vella's house. Gail Vella had a stunning teal door. <laughs> it's a lovely house. Yeah. So Joe is now trying to prove that she's not bent to Kate, right? Gail Vella's house is one of those ones that when you're on another one of your fucking lockdown walks, like when it's kind of getting dark outside that you have a look in the window Mm -hmm. because it's fab. Also, how is Kate not more angry at Joe that she lured her to her death at Ryan? Seriously. Yeah, seriously. Okay, at AC12, Steve sees Carmichael get a call and leave. So he alerts Ted, who delivers a line of juicy. Well, let's, let's not wait for the crumbs, son. I loved that. They then follow Carmichael out, right? Next, Joe and Kate arrive at Miroslav and John Corbett's favourite haunt, Kingsgate Printing Services, which is, of course, right across the road from Terry Boyle's flat. Suddenly, Kate spots a police car behind them. She speeds off through the city streets like she's in the bloody Grand Prix. Now, lads, this scene is Vicky McClure's James Bond audition tape, (laughs) or should I say Jane Bond? The gals are then greeted by a gorgeous blockade of police cars and AFOs who have actually whipped out those lovely road spikes for the occasion that we always see the OCG use. It was nice to see it the other way around, wasn't it? (laughs) Kate cops it and she breaks before her tyres are pierced. She's like, brace. You know, like when you're in a, well, I was going to say, you know, like when you're in a plane crash. I haven't been, thankfully. But but in the movies. Yeah, in the movies. And they go, brace. However, and you put your hands over your head and your head between your knees. Now, I've heard that that's just to protect your teeth so that they can identify you by dental records. Oh I don't God. know if that's true or not. Oh, God. 
However, the dramatic chase <laughs> comes to I'm a just imagining a friend in your teeth floating in the Atlantic. Oh like out of spite, I'll just go face first into the headrest. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to identify me. <laughs> oh my God. That's really stupid. The dramatic chase comes to a close when the glam master is eventually cornered and surrounded by sirens. With the helicopter circling above, Joe and Kate are ordered via a megaphone to leave the vehicle with their arms raised. Guys, this was shocking, even though we'd seen it in the trailer that they released by accident at the start of season six. So in the car before they get out, Kate is really confused about how they managed to intercept them. And she tells Joe that something just isn't right. Joe says that she's going to say that she forced Kate to drive the car and that they don't have a choice. They have to get out. Kate and Joe leave the car. They say they're police officers going about their lawful duty, but hashtag Pat's back. She's on the scene and she orders them to surrender. Now, Kate is beyond devastated here when she sees Steve, who she reckons is in on the whole thing. Now, a side note here. Vicky McClure's cheekbones in this scene yes. are chiselled by the gods. They really Crazy are. Sharp. Oh my God. Like, is that Charlotte Tilbury flawless filter? That's what the spotlight of a helicopter does for you. My I God. think that's just Vicky's gorgeous face. Yeah, she is fabulous. Okay. So, right. Joe now is cooperating loads. She puts the pistol on the ground. We then see one single tear fall down Kate's gorgeous cheekbone. And she's taken her sweet ass time to surrender that firearm because she tells Joe that they're being framed. Kate stares Ted and Steve out of it like they are in the tone of Lady Gaga. Judas, Judas, ah, ah. Like she's so <laughs> betrayed by them, okay? Kate rolls her eyes as Ted speaks on the megaphone saying that they will be treated fairly with the full protection of the law. I loved the head on Carmichael when she handed the megaphone over to him. She just like kind of like just threw it over and rolled her eyes. <laughs> Also, can we talk about her wearing a bulletproof vest over a long coat so it looked like a bulletproof vest dress <laughs> and everyone else was just in... Rebecca, wait, you go back and watch it. It was honestly... The, and she had this catwalk walk. It was the most <laughs> iconic thing ever. Like everyone else just throws them over their jackets or their tops with their jeans. But she literally had the bulletproof vest cinched her waist in before the coat flowed to the ground. <laughs> oh my God. I'm Carmichael, if you know what I mean. And I do my little... <laughs> the re- the reference point just get more and more obscure. (laughs) Okay, so Steve then tells Ted that this is all his fault. D.I. Arnett approaches and Kate calls him a bastard, accusing him of giving her up because how else would they know what car she was driving? Do you know what I just thought she should do though? They just kept saying, just put your hands in the air. She was like, she was basically saying, no, I won't because I'm a lawful police officer carrying out my duties. But like, even if you are, just put your hands in the air. And we can, you know, move forward. It was quite unnerving. Um, did you guys think she was about to blast yeah. the guys out of it with the gun? Because I did for a second. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen there. Um, Steve does say that neither him nor the gaffer had anything to do with it. He doesn't know why the chief ordered Carmichael to take over, but he will get them both to safety. Now, Kate eventually cooperates. She lays the gun on the ground. And as they approach the officers with their hands up, Kate tells Steve to check in on the old print shop. And she also says that Ryan did confess to the murder of Manit and John Corbett. Ted tells Kate that he'll make sure she's looked after or by Christ, they'll have him to answer to. And then and Carmichael, as she's turning, just goes real deadpan and says, arrest them both. <laughs> we then see Kate rocking a grey fruit of the loom 
being led into a lonely cell. We've never seen Kate being arrested. Like Steve's been framed and thrown downstairs and whatnot. So Kate is in the this, this cell at the moment. So at base, Patricia pops in to Ted and Steve and she says that she's just learned that the car that Kate was driving is actually Steve's. And Arnett explains that he and Kate have keys to each other's homes and vehicles in the event of extreme circumstances. Now Carmichael asks what would constitute this. An unexplained chain change in the chain of command, Steve replies. Carmichael then breaks Ted's trust and tells Steve that Hastings has been informed of his impending retirement and that she has now assumed all control of AC12. So he now has to take orders from her. Everything out of Carmichael's mouth in this episode could be a line of duty from a line of juicy rather from the way that she delivers it. Everything she says is just class. So Steve then does tell Patricia here about the print shop before he leaves and then Ted asks Carmichael how she knew about Kate and Davidson's whereabouts and Carmichael reveals that they've put trackers on all AC12 vehicles under the order of the chief constable. Ted says this is a breach of trust and Carmichael says Ted is right. The chief and I don't trust you. So they're in cahoots, guys. Osborne and Carmichael, BFFs, dodgy yeah, AF. A lot of uh, theories 100%. about that on social coming up later on. Now, a 14-second long beep then kicks off the longest glass box spectacular interrogation scene in line of duty history. I love that we both counted 14 seconds. I'm glad it's the same number. I was doing one Mississippi. Yeah. I had to go back. I was like, two Mississippi. <laughs> and it faded seconds. in. We didn't get the start of it. Yeah. And 33 no comments. Oh, Jesus. Well, yes. thank God I didn't have to count all them because this took me a while. Okay, guys. Over 29 minutes, Joe Davidson dressed in, you guessed it, Fruit of the Loom, is questioned by Carmichael Ted and Steve. She mostly responds no comment to everything and this is Kelly MacDonald at her best delivering an incredibly raw and heart-wrenching performance. So here is a summary of everything that we find out in this very long scene. First, we learn that Joe's mum, Samantha, died by suicide in 1996. Steve then brings up the DNA found at Farida's house and how they are, how it's a match to John Thomas Hunter. So Joe does know that he's her uncle but she's then delivered with a devastating blow that Tommy was also her father. Now, she, didn't she had know, no guys. idea. It was really hard to watch, actually. She's in disbelief and she's really distressed. And, you know, Carmichael does try to shut down the interview here. Um, but Steve tries to reason with Joe and he's like, listen, no one can be blamed for what they are born into. OK, so Joe is saying no comment now to basically everything now, everything they ask them. She says no comment so much that at one point Ted goes, oh, God, give me strength. It's going to be a long day. Yeah, in fairness. Um, Joe is then asked about the laptop found in her apartment that has her DNA all over it. We learn that cybercrime found numerous text conversations with an unknown user. Who Go on, Amanda, an yeah. IP address located <laughs> in Spain. And when Joe replies no comment for what feels like the 100th time in the episode, Ted has a sublime line of juicy. Jesus, Mary and Joseph and the wee donkey. Can we move this along before it drives us all around the bloody bend? <laughs> the wee donkey. So good. I howled when he said that. It was ve- It was probably, I think it's my favourite headline ever. I think so. Joe That's is a sublime and juicy if I ever heard one, guys. It's so good. Joe is then accused of luring Kate to her death after Steve shows screen grabs of the conversation that she had with the user saying get rid of her. Joe then reveals that her mum was born into it the same as her. She hated what her family stood for. Her brother Tommy controlled her mum's life. Joe says her mum told her she was raped at the age of 15 and she was forced to go through with the pregnancy. So Tommy sent jo- Joe's mum back to Glasgow um, and she put her under her mum's maiden name. So 
she says that Joe says that they had no idea about any of the Tommy thing. Well, she didn't have any idea about the Tommy thing until he came back looking for her when she was 16. This is absolutely horrendous. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. So he had heard that she was doing really well in school and that she'd never been in trouble. And he wanted Joe for the police to do his bidding. So Joe says her mum really just couldn't bear the thought of be- her being with Uncle Tommy. And she knew that she just couldn't protect her. And that is why she took her own life. Um, so it's really upsetting. Next, when Steve is asked, um, when Steve asks Joe who she believed was her father, Carmichael stares her out of it and moves the conversation along because Tommy is no longer a person of interest. He became an informant and he was killed by his own organisation. But Joe was like, no, it wasn't simply because he was an informant. Tommy had cultivated relationships with, cl- with corrupt police officers and they had started to turn on him. Joe says... He felt betrayed, so he threatened to expose them all and that the officers were heavily involved in his murder. And she brings up D.I. Matthew Cotton saying that he orchestrated the whole plan. Yeah. Okay. This leads Steve to ask whether someone took Tommy's place at the top of the organisation and gave Cotton the order to kill Tommy. Joe says it actually broke up into smaller elements and smaller OCGs and that the only thing that really united them all was how much they had to lose if Tommy carried out his threat. Steve asks if this is because they rely on corrupt officers to carry out their criminal enterprises. Joe says yes, and that they wanted to continue to exploit them. So Ted is then like asking loads about the network of Ben Coppers. But Carmichael interrupts and says that this force has detected no institutionalised corruption. Sounds like Andrea Wise. Yeah. Ted asks Joe if H, the fourth man, is still running the show and who he is. But Joe says she doesn't know. And Carmichael quickly moves on then to Operation Lighthouse. Carmichael really doesn't ask much. She doesn't. No. Is this at the point where she asks Steve? She's like, should we uh, shivy things along here, Steve? No, I'll get to that. Okay. okay. So Joe is quizzed about how she became appointed SIO on the case and says that her predecessor was moved after a month due to the inquiry's slow progress. Guys, a month. That's absolute BS if I ever heard it. Joe's just like, oh, I'm an experienced murder investigator. So files in Joe's flat are then brought up. These state that Ian Buckles had noted that the previous SIO was actually investigating whether Vela's murder was an OCG contract killing. But Buckles then said, that the former SIO was failing to make progress so he actually nominated Joe by name to take over. So Buckles is just a puppet. Yeah. Ted then asks Joe if she or someone close to her engineered her appointment with Buckles as the convenient stooge, he says, because the OCG obviously needed to put in a new SIO to suppress that whole line of inquiry um, in favour of obviously putting someone like Terry Boyle in and saying it was a random act of violence. Joe says that she refused to charge Terry because she couldn't bear sending an innocent man to jail. And then Carl... Banks is brought up here like Carl Banks bragging about Vela's murder the delayed surveillance that allowed him to be switched with Terry the evidence planted at the at Farida's and all that and Joe does eventually admit after saying no comment a hundred times that Farida is innocent and that she did plant the burner phones Um, Joe says that she also leaked the information about the operation to arrest Carl Banks and she says that she did know about the armed robbery at the bookies uh, that delayed the whole thing I mean, shock horror. (laughs) And Joe also says that she manipulated buckles in terms of the surveillance and planted files in his service vehicle. Next, guys, Deborah Devereaux's witness statement is brought up. (laughs) False witness statement, I should say. Dirty Debbie. So Joe says that she is an ex-girlfriend of Buckles. I would have said lover, but anyway. Um, But she's like, I don't know who set that up. She was like, Buckles was actually really worried about how the failure to solve the Vela murder was going to make him look bad. So he was desperate to charge someone. Um, But Carmichael is like, oh, Steve, 
leave bookmark the DIR there and say there's significant testimony that charges against Buckles should be discontinued. So Buckles is going to be released, guys. Yeah. What about Farida? She doesn't seem too like quick to be releasing her. They and need she's to completely get innocent. Farida out of there. She's been in there for the whole season. God love her. Now Farida's been gone since episode one, guys. Yeah. God love her hadn't done a thing like broken wrist and everything and um, so joe says that she thinks the images in terry boyle's flat were planted and that he's innocent she says no comment when she's asked about carl though and um, things get really interesting here when steve brings up carl's brother um about the whole vela investigating the ocg and ted is so shifty because they bring up carl's brother ted's best mate and blackthorn's finest lee banks so Carmichael says that a search has been carried out on Kingsgate Printing Services and they did find Gail Vela's computer and laptop which were stolen from her home when she was killed. Well, they believe that's the case. Carmichael then taps her pen four times here, guys. Oh. Morse code. Didn't notice that. I saw someone tweeted that. I didn't notice that. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Ted says that Joe hid crucial evidence, but he says that uh, Joe basically is like, I was bringing Kate to Kingsgate to prove that I'm not bent. And she says she only suspected that the computer could be there after Terry was arrested. Steve says it looks like one of Gail's colleagues actually was either blackmailed or bribed into handing over Gail's passwords. So maybe that producer did have something to do with okay. it after all. Um, so next up here, Ted reveals that Gail was investigating the suppression of police inquiries into his dark child sexual exploitation, along with police failure into the murder of Lawrence Christopher. Vela visited Lee Banks in prison about Lawrence Christopher, and then he obviously told his brother, which led to her murder. Joe denies knowing any of this. But Ted is like, listen, one of the suspects in that murder was your cousin, Darren Hunter. And if he'd been arrested, he would have given you and Tommy up. Joe is still saying that she didn't know any of this. Um, And then she's asked about bloody Marcus Thurwell, who was SIO on the Lawrence Christopher case. Joe says no comment, but she looks absolutely shook when she sees his photo. Ted says that Vela was investigating Thurwell's role and the role of the other off, i.e. Detective Constable Ian Buckles and Inspector Philip Osborne. Carmichael chimes in here and she says it's a dead end and delivers a line of juicy... Steve, let's shivy things along, shall we? Ryan, the bent bastard, or IP Pilkington is then brought up. Steve says he was killed by two bullets from Fleming's gun. Joe says she killed Ryan, and that's why her fingerprints were on Kate's, Kate's gun. Joe says that Ryan and Kate, uh, Ryan had Kate at gunpoint, so she turned Kate's gun on, on Ryan before returning the gun to Kate and taking Ryan's gun. She really does have an answer for all of this. Carmichael says the forensic evidence doesn't add up because it indicates that Kate fired the gun because of gunshot residue on her sleeve, but Joe says that Kate was in the process of handing her the gun so when Joe turned the gun on Ryan it fired the fatal shots and the gunshot residue got onto Kate Carmichael asks if Joe is confessing to Ryan's murder but Davidson is like hang on a second I was a serving police officer Ryan was about to kill Kate I employed lethal force because I detected an imminent threat to life and Ted is so thrilled here because she starts listing off all of the legal stuff yeah Joe also reveals that Ryan was brought into MIT against her will and she says that she knew about his OCG connections um, but he was there to intimidate her into misleading Operation Lighthouse. So at the end of the interview, Ted repeatedly asks if Marcus Thurwell is the one giving these orders because the laptop user is in Spain and that's where Marcus lives. Hastings says that they think that he deliberately misled the Lawrence Christopher inquiry to protect Darren Hunter, a racist thug and Tommy Hunter's son, 
under the orders of Tommy. Ted begs Joe to tell him who is giving the orders, but she says she can't. And just as Ted asks whether it's the Chief Constable Philip Osborne, Carmichael says let's leave it there and charges Joe who is then remanded in custody. We're at the end. Ted then turns to Steve because Carmichael leaves the room and he goes, you take care of the custody, son. Just leave this one to me. And he follows Carmichael into his slash now her office. She wasn't long taking over his office. Oh, she wasn't. Well, Ted tells Carmichael in this office that Joe Davidson is the best shot that they had at blowing open the whole network of corrupt police officers and that she let Joe off the hook, basically, and shut down all of his questions about the fourth man. Now, Carmichael says that Ted is just bitter about AC12 being merged and that inquiries into Joe will continue if she has more to reveal. And she says we will get there in time. And Ted says, I don't have time. It was very upsetting, guys. Also in in here when um, he said you let her off the hook, Carmichael was like, I must have been in a different interview because all I heard was no comment. (laughs) She has an answer for everything. Um, We then see Steve get an email that states he's on a final warning about not attending his medical review and he will be suspended from duty with a yellow notice if he doesn't attend within five working days. A defeated Ted then walks up to Steve and says. Sometimes you don't lose, son. You just run out of time. It's very poignant this episode, isn't it? It is. Carmichael then visits Kate in custody and informs her that the gullible crown prosecutor is considering starting proceedings against Joe Davidson alone in the death of Ryan Pilkington. Pat says that uh, Ryan was killed by two shots to the chest, a double tap like a trained AFO. But sure, Davidson isn't firearms trained. However, Kate is. She tells Kate that once she gives a statement, she's free to go. And Carmichael then delivers a line of juicy as she leaves. I'm not gullible, Kate. I am pragmatic. That night, Kate and Steve meet in a car park and Steve asks if she's okay. He says that no one is coming after her over the Ryan Pilkington shooting, but if she ever needs to talk, he's there. And it's really cute. They both say, I'll drive. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Kate does bring up here how Joe told her that her dad was a police officer and Steve says that they have security cameras monitoring her cell at Brentis Prison. We also learned that Fleming is actually now the senior detective on Operation Lighthouse. So she says that they are looking into the OCG workshop so her and Steve will work together to get the job done it's nice to see them this is great so the pair then meet Lomax at the workshop and guys really quickly before this scene like kicks off properly we hear Lomax tell someone in forensics that they'll be in the red line pub by eight yeah the red line pub now I know it's their logo but like I think that's where the whole Chiz was a waitress no yeah I just I think it was where the Chiz and Carl had that conversation that that Debbie says she saw. I guess it's just the local though. Yeah, I just thought that was a bit weird that that was there. I'm like, what's the crack with Chris? Anyway, Chris is a bit weird when he sees Steve Arnott and Kate says... Don't act like a tit, Sarge. We're all Guys, we are together. getting our money's worth with that button. We are, aren't we? Flat out. I love that I she said tit again after tit in the last season finale. Stop making a tit of yourself also, and piss fake off. fake Kate I think is due back next week. Yeah. 
Can't wait for that. Um, Guys, Chris then reveals that the machinery there matches the markings of the firearms used in the Jimmy Lakewell ambush. Steve then notices the weight of the machines and Chris is like, oh yeah, we found uh, power saws and power drills in the OCG van. So Kate is like, hang on a second, we need to search the floor underneath the workshop. So like Chris never really is on point. Kate's always like, hang on. Yeah. Kate's so observant, isn't she? Mm -hmm. We then find out that AC-12 have located Marcus Thurwell in Espana. It turns out Amanda in cybercrime is fluent in Spanish. <laughs> is there anything that woman can't do? So Guys, she's. What did I tell you? What did I no, tell you, did, you about you Amanda? Yeah, cybercrime. I, I just got a vibe that the woman had more to offer than we first knew. Hannah, you were so right, and you knew well, that she was coming we know. to her own. I knew she was coming into her own, but little did we know, guys, she was bilingual and I just felt a sense of pride when she started using her Duolingo that she obviously <laughs> done over the pandemic to speak to a man that was clearly Marcus Turwell in disguise, <laughs> but we we'll get into that later on. So she's then speaking on a video call that shows a body cam footage of Spanish AFOs searching a house with a stunning pool. <laughs> now, people are really stressed out about how they found a pool, like someone's gorgeous pool in a house in Belfast. Where did they film this? They could have just built it in that Titanic studio they were yes, talking about. that's true. And um, So the AFOs enter a room in the property and they find the bodies of Senor Thurwell and Senorita Thurwell, which was absolutely shocking. But I do love that they're like Senor Thurwell. <laughs> the noise of the flies as well. Well, it was a lot. That sounded like one of your hotkeys. <laughs> um, okay, Ted then storms out and he says it's a kick in the teeth and that there's only so much that a man can take before he breaks down in the lift. We then see Joe brought into her cell before being paid a brief and very threatening visit from the terrible two bent prison guards that terrorised Farida and Denton. What? It was them, wasn't it? Or was it two different ones? No, it was them. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, they just pretend that they went the wrong way because they see the cameras. The, the cameras are on, yeah. Lastly, Ted watches Osborne deliver a speech about how officers have been terrorised by accusations of corruption and the credits roll. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Reb, what a recap. Because the glass box spectaculars are not easy to recap. 
This is the longest one ever, so well she, done. She just said no comment to everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, I no was comment. relieved for you because when I heard there was a 29-minute glass box spectacular, I was like, oh, poor Rebecca, now she'll be there all night transcribing it. No, you did a great job. Uh, should we move into some social theories? Before we get to the social theories, I have a very brief eulogy for Ryan, which we have done for characters before, so I thought we should oh, just give him his little moment. lovely. Go on. Okay, if you just wouldn't mind now, everyone just lower their heads. From the womb to the grave, Ryan, you were a terribly bent bastard. But look, you didn't have the best start in life. All the way back in season one, growing up in Moss Heath with a mother who was less than engaged in your upbringing. That said, you nearly took Steve's fingers off with a bolt cutters. You murdered John Corbett and Manit in cold blood. And you spent the entirety of season six terrorising poor Joe Davidson. And while we'll miss your bone-curdling stares... Bent bastard gets what's coming to them. And you got yours, Ryan. R.I.P. my love. R.I.P. my love. Hannah, that was lovely. And all the bent bastard wanted was a fucking burger. (laughs) And look where he is now. That's all he wanted now. Brendan, social theories. Okay, social theories. Uh, The the, the main thing that people are talking about this week is Marcus Thurwell. So we will get to that. Uh, But first... um, why did Kate and Joe go on the run? So a few people have uh, messaged us about this. Sarah Cloak says, Why did Kate go on the run with Joe? Makes no sense. I don't understand that at all. She was in uh, within her rights to shoot him. Yeah, she was. It is really confusing, but I think Kate I'm is fearing it. for her life because she thinks that the OCG are going to come after her for killing Ryan. So I think the way I've tried to figure this out in my head is, on a second watch, is that obviously it happened and Joe went... I want to show you Kingsgate Printing Services now and if we don't leave now we're both going to be arrested and I'm not going to be able to show you. But she could have just told her instead of having to bring her. Yeah, she could have. Yeah, I think I, I think also Kate is worried about the chain of command. Kate knows nothing about Ted's retirement or anything like that or why Carmichael yeah. is there. So Kate thought she was in like a do or die situation that H was taking over and she didn't yeah, really know I what still going just on. don't know and why Kate, she would have left. She just found out about the 50k in yeah. Seth Corbett's house and yeah. why John Corbett was killed. And she also was very quick to leave AC12 after Ted's behaviour in the last season. So add on top everything she's just learned, she doesn't trust him at all. She yeah. doesn't know who to trust, so I think she just okay. went, I kind of trust Joe because she didn't get me killed there. I don't know. Yeah, But there was um, a lot of guesswork. You had to guess your way there. It wasn't shown to us. So it was really confusing, yeah. Um, an yeah. account which is called The Back of Steve Arnott's Neck. <laughs> says why did Kate and Joe go on the run like Thelma and Louise why not wait for the backup Kate must have known was coming and Dan Murphy says did Steve and Kate have a prearranged stash of burner phones in that locker at his place and as Reb explained yes for what what do they call it exceptional circumstances yeah or something. In a, a case of extreme circumstances and he and he's like because there was a weird cha- change yeah. in the chain of command that Pat's they were back. like what is going on yeah yeah um okay the next uh, topic is uh, a lot of people this week Carmichael is not bent it seems to be the general consensus really yeah so SJS to the J says Pat isn't bent she just wants to stay in the boss's good graces who is definitely a bent bastard Lomax isn't bent just a bit shit at his job Chloe is an angel I want to see more of her I'm nervous about Steve Ted and Joe Uh, Don Logan says if it's as simple as Osborne and H uh, uh, if it's as simple as Osborne is H and Carmichael is doing his bidding then it'll be a bit underwhelming as it's glaringly obvious I hope there's more twists and turns and I'm sure there will be um 
Apple Sticker says, I think the fourth man uh, thing is a red herring. Let's face it, the cops are much more corrupt than four people. Even if they lock up Osborne, Ted will still have a load of work to do, assuming he gets out of this forced retirement. And Charlotte 30 says, I don't think Carmichael is bent. I think she just wants to get her job done and isn't interested in going off tangent looking for H. I think that's fairly plausible. She's just like, no, this is what we're here to talk about and this is what we're going to talk about. Carmichael is the person that goes on to Love Island or any reality show and says she's not there to make friends. Yeah, she's absolutely not there to make friends. A lot of people have been calling her Jobsworth. Have you heard that description before? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so, okay, so when you Google the word, it says an official who upholds petty rules even at the expense of humanity or common sense. And I think that is a perfect description for Carmichael. Not bent, but appearing so because she's such an arsehole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I picked out a couple of uh, people's theories that they predictions for the final. So I'm just going to read them out. So you've got proof if you're right. Uh, Twinkle Daddy says, um, Joe killed Gail. That's no Jimmy Nesbitt. Excuse Car- me, Twinkle Daddy. Yeah, Twinkle Daddy is the, is the username. Uh, Joe killed Gail. That's no Jimmy Nesbitt. Carmichael is up to her fucking eyes in it. Ted retires. Steve is suspended. Queen Kate gets the Iron Throne. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sally Morrison says, if Steve's appointment is for a drugs test, uh, he has had plenty of time to stop taking meds prior to his test. His boss would have also been informed that he hadn't attended. And email doesn't stage for drugs test uh, if this appointment or if it's for something else. Oh. Norm De Plume says, Marcus Thurwell is alive and lodging with Chicken Licken. Carly Kirk is under the floor of the workshop. Uh, Pat is a lackey of Osborne, but she's not bent. I Dad says, they will find Laverty's limbs when they dig up the gun shop floor. Is there much of yeah, Jackie Lav to be found? I, I think there's probably a bit more, perhaps. The Marcus Thurwell living with Steph thing is very interesting. My friend Emily just shout out to her because she's going to kill me if I don't say it. She did text me last week saying that. She said it just came to her and she thought, what if Marcus Thurwell is in Steph's house watching Sky Sports? Yeah, there's somebody in Steph's house watching Sky Sports. Uh, Carol T says Steph's job at the hairdressers is OCG money laundering. Ted is going to have a heart attack. What's going on with Steve's drug test? Uh, Fake Kate is going to be back. She's going to nail Carmichael. <gasps> Um, Because she told her to uh, ask for a transfer request the last time. Yes. Uh, AC3 uh, currently up on AC12, perhaps. Um, Allow trackers uh, for Kate being bent. Prostitutes used condoms kept and frozen while... uh, Why is Terry Seaman on Gail Vela's pictures? So that actually could come back could all come back into this season. I think Terry is meant to be in the next episode. Is he? Yeah. Okay. And um, another prediction for the final is from Hudson Benson on Instagram, uh, who says, it's not my theory, but my husband's. Uh, Next episode is going to end with Kate either suspended or arrested for Ryan's murder. Steve is suspended because of his drug test and Ted is forced to retire. The whole team is now out of AC12 and the episode wraps with a message coming through on the laptop saying AC12 is no longer or a problem and the laptop closes to show Osborne's face then it's announced season 7 is the final season and it's all about the three of them working to solve things once and for all with the help of Chloe on the inside <gasps> I hope that that is the case I really want a yeah. season yeah, 7 but it, it is all good. kind of being tied it's, isn't it yeah and guys the trailer's out we'll talk about that in a minute for uh, mm-hmm. the final episode and it could all be wrapped up very very nicely but we'll see okay and the most talked about this thing uh, most talked about thing on social media this week is Marcus Thurwell and the uh, dead Senor Thurwell in a span. Um, so Lewis Povey says, has anyone thrown this one at you yet? That this is Marcus Thurwell, Jimmy Nesbitt, and he's attached a photo of the Spanish cop with the eyebrows, who a lot of people have sent us this. It looks like Jimmy Nesbitt. 
It looks like Jimmy Nesbitt's eyebrows because that's all you can see. It does, but there, but the the actor was credited. Apparently, the actor's credited yeah. for it. Yeah. So they've just cast somebody who deliberately looks <laughs> like yeah, Jimmy Nesbitt's eyebrows, us, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Kirsty H says, "I'm sure I caught a small smirk from Ted after a confrontation uh, with Pat in his office. He, Stephen, Kate, and possibly Joe still have something up their sleeve. Also, I screeched at Amanda Yao speaking Spanish, but that whole Marcus is dead discovery seemed fake to me. And this is the consensus of a lot of people. They are not buying." The Marcus is dead thing. And he's been dead for a while, so... Yeah, because the flies are flying around. So if he is dead, that as long as... If that is him and he's been dead for a while, that's not him messaging Joe on the laptop. But does Joe know him somehow and I is, think she thought he was her dad. Yeah, per, yeah, it could easily have happened. But also, is it just Osborne? Are we just reading into things way too much? Yeah, is it just po- the first, one of the first Ben people we yeah. met in the whole series? Yeah, it would tie it up perfectly. Uh, and finally, the final um, theory from Social this week is from Oil Oracle, who's says it does look uncannily like Marcus Thurwell was one of those Spanish police hard to tell with a mask on but it really looks like his eyes risky move but could he be embedded in the Spanish police and the reason I put this one in is because Reb this is where you think and hope season 7 could go so guys I would love if Ted Kate and Steve and Chloe hit up Marbella hit up the Costa del Sol and one of them was embedded within the Spanish cartel to try and crack organised crime and police officers. Donde esta H? Michiko Latino. Imagine. <laughs> like, I would absolutely love it. I'd love if Line of Duty went international. They could do a crossover with cr- white lines. laughing, covering that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it, though. It would be great, like, if we got a Line of Duty Christmas special. Oh, Nigel Morton and Jill Bigelow in the Spanish song. On a yacht. Oh, yeah. Like, I keep thinking... Sunday night's episode could be the last one for a number of reasons and the trailer that just came out which we will talk about in a few minutes and the fact that there's an extra episode but then you've got they've just introduced Chloe which they've done a lot of work into making her very likeable and a really brilliant police officer we've got Chris Lomax who's new and I just feel like they could carry a season seven if they're gonna change up basically 12 and you know hopefully not but maybe kill off a few characters so I have a glimmer of hope do you think that Jed's written it that if it ends at season six, it's kind of wrapped up the H thing, but also the corruption can go on forever. So he could easily, if it's commissioned, yeah. Pick do it a back seven. Up again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, guys, it, like last week's episode had 11 million viewers or something like this Sunday yeah. night's episode. Like, I mean, like I do think the story will wrap up and the trailer, there's a line in it, which we will talk about. But at the same time, two reasons there. Jed loves his ambiguity. I think he'll leave it open. There's always room for a spin-off if this is the end of the traditional version of Line of Duty. And number three, viewerships talk. Like, this is the biggest drama on the BBC in years. Yeah. You know, they might want to go out on a high. We might get one last season. Uh, Thanks for all of your social theories. We're at ShrinePod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Will we get into the emails? Let's do it. Oh, guys, we got them in their tens. And um, even though we had an early cutoff point this week, there was so many and there was so many that I had to include. So I'll get through them as quick as possible. I've grouped them into categories. Up first, Joe. Nathan Statsicker says, presuming Joe thought that Marcus Herwell was her dad. What about if the female body in Spain was her mum, Samantha? Perhaps her death was set up to look like a suicide by the OCG, but she actually went into hiding and then joined Marcus in Spain when he retired. Why would Jed introduce a partner for Marcus and explicitly say a female body had been found during the raid? 
if it was just his wife we've never heard of and who isn't significant to the investigation. Perhaps Joe even knows her mum is still alive. Go on. Because maybe it's not Marcus. Maybe it's just two, a Spanish couple, like, who are not related to anyone. Maybe they were doing a timeshare. Oh my God, guys, the timeshare. Oh, the timeshare. Oh my God, she's out there. Her face is lit up. Guys, the timeshare. Someone was renting Marcus Turwell's timeshare. We know it's coming up in the glass box next week. They have it in front of Kate in the the picture that Martin Compson put up. The timeshare is going to be bright. Oh my God, it's not Marcus Turwell. And we all know that Spain is timeshare city. If you own an apartment over there, you're 99% in a timeshare. Guys, can so- I tell you, my one of my friends, I'm not naming anyone, <laughs> one of my friend's parents were unfortunately... <laughs> no, they were, were they involved in a scam? No, they were conned, guys, oh, out of a no. lot of money. No, it happened. Yeah, it happened back like years ago. I don't think they've ever seen any of it back and never got the place. Oh, God. No, it's awful. Well, that's what happened to our Ted. Yeah, it is true. Yeah, kettlebell. kettlebell. Although, why would you buy a kettlebell complex in Ireland? <laughs> I know we live here, but... <laughs> well, tell them to tune in to next week's episode. They might get a few tips on getting their cash back. So, Jake McCabe very quickly says, he thinks Joe will be killed off by the two Brent prison officers. I think Joe's a goner next week, guys. Do you think? Goner, Yeah. I think I, she's getting killed. I thought she was going to be killed before we even see the seventh episode. But when we saw a glimpse of her in the trailer, I thought, do you know what? We've seen in those weird pictures that were released on one of the websites that the prison officer or one of the prison officers does get arrested. So I was yeah. hoping they just get Joe out in the nick of time. Guys, I think I think shit is going to go down in the final episode based yeah, on the little trailer sadistic. we've seen. People have to start dying, guys. We've only lost Ryan. <laughs> and he's a bent bastard. And Some of the good Hannah. people. And Jonesy. And, and Gail Bella. And who, yeah, and Gail Bella. And who drowned in the lake? Okay, guys. Lisa. Fair enough. But uh, let's be honest now. I thought it was Lisa. Linda. Jonesy. Gail Bella died off screen. We'd never met her before. She's an icon now, but come on. Lisa and Jonesy, oh, you couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Couldn't pick them out of a lineup. And Ryan is a murderer. Someone of importance. Has to go. Yeah. I think Joe's fucked. Emma White says Joe's mum is Someone still alive. Someone has to go. I pick Joe. I right, see you. See you, love. I can't uh, take it if it's one of the main three. I can't handle at the moment. We're not. I actually don't even think we're having that conversation because we had it two weeks ago, and that's enough. Yeah, you've kind of changed your tune, though. It sounds <laughs> because Brendan. Now we're close to it actually happening, and I told you earlier on. I'm very emotional about turning thirty, and I just couldn't. <laughs> positively get into it this evening now emma white said joe's mom is still alive joe didn't uh, joe's mom didn't kill herself as she thought the man she believed was her father that she thinks was her mother's rapist is thurwell she faked her own death to get away from tommy hunter and thurwell helped they hid away and left for spain she was 15 when she had joe so probably had to leave school so maybe her spelling isn't too amazing. I think they faked it again with these bodies in Spain. We haven't seen any faces, so I'm suspicious of that. That's very interesting. Um, Prudence Cartledge talks about Joe's parents in her email. She wonders, is Thurwell too young to have pretended to be Joe's dad? Could Joe's fake dad, in fact, be Osborne? And that proves a link between Osborne and Tommy Hunter and the OCG or is Dryden maybe the fake dad? And then she says, I miss him. Now, I don't because he was a paedophile. Um, <laughs> um, that, that, does, that does feed into... Hannah, um, <laughs> you're on fire. You're on fire this evening. Well legend. done. Yeah. Um, I think she's at a birthday, Thanks. Sherry. 
Um, I'm going to mute myself and just have a slurpy tea, Brandon, while you say this. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so, uh, what, what that last person just, e- uh, yes, emailed in um, to every time that Joe was asked a question about who the fourth man was or asked questions about Mar- Marcus Turwell, she kind of looked at Carmichael for a guidance maybe and always just gave a no comment so yeah, or said I can't say yeah. yeah. so I think that would tie into that yeah I think there's going to be something dodgy there we're moving into the workshop section of the emails Alex Rhodes picked up on Lomax's reluctance to have the workshop floor dug up wasn't suspicious about him before but is now wondering if Lomax is bent again I don't even know if I'm suspicious about him He's just a weird character and he needs to pick a side. Tim I, Griffiths. I think he likes to do the bare minimum. You know, he's that person that you don't want to be on the group project with. I think he just wants to get out there, get to the pub and it's just like meh. I also think we might not be as suspicious of him if he didn't look as much like Dot as he does. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe it's just a lazy git. Um, Tim Griffiths, uh, among other things, thinks we'll see either Jackie Laverty or... Carly Kirk under the workshop floor. There's definitely someone of importance down there. Also, Alexandra Bigger. She thinks, what she's wondering, whatever happened to Carly Kirk, is she under the website floor? Could she be in Spain? But we did see Marcus Carly Turbell? heading off on the ship, though. Yeah, Carly Brandon went did to the look ship like to she Spain. Yeah. Was she intercepted on and the ship and in, then buried under and the and workshop in, floor? I think it was season two or three. Remember when they dug up the floor of the the mechanic, the old mechanics? They thought they were going to find Cardi Kirk, they dressed but they found in her another girl in the waitress's uniform. So this has sort of like similarities to it, so, which makes you why, think of Cardi Kirk. I think that's why we got so many emails about Carly. I only read out two, but we got a lot. And considering she was like, I mean, she wasn't a small character. She had a big part to play, but on screen, she didn't get that much screen time. There's a lot of people talking about her and I think that's why, because it's major Mm, throwback vibes to that. And also a lot of people comparing Joe Davidson's Glass Box Spectacular to Lindsay Denton-esque, you know, do we feel sorry for her? Is she bent kind of vibes? Um, Okay, the pad is bent section. Sarah Bassey thinks Carmichael might be secondhand bent as she is so anti-Ted, she's just doing whatever the definitely bent Osborne tells her to do I think that's pretty spot on however Rachel Dawn is certain that Pat is bent she talked about the camera keeping focusing on Carmichael at key moments in the glass box could Joe have been no commenting the bejesus out of that interview on the knowledge that Carmichael is bent and closely colluding with the top bent bastard Emma Dale thinks Pat's bent and Chief Constable Osborne is also bent but not as far as OCG bent just a bit bent okay here are the Kate theories, guys, and they're back in their droves. Okay. Anna Goldstone. Kate ran after sh- ran after shooting Ryan as a way to manipulate Joe into taking the blame. Anna thinks Kate has been manipulating Joe the whole time. Did she transfer to MIT under orders of the OCG to keep track on the Vela case? If true, she's only recently recruited, perhaps being blackmailed about her rich acres affair. Oh yeah, that'd be a nice tie-in, wouldn't it? And they keep wouldn't talking it? about the ambush, Tommy Hunter, all of that, but we haven't revisited anything to do with Richard, Richard Akers. Yeah, I thought that was very clever. Rob Watson thinks the OCG have Kate via her son, Josh. He said we got a reminder about him at the beginning of the season, but that didn't really serve the story. Was he just brought up? Because it's going to come back in the last episode. That that's what the OCG are using to get to Kate. 
Amy Buckley says she was so shady in this episode. She took control of the situation after Ryan was shot and tricked Joe into putting her prints on the gun. The scene where she shed a tear and almost didn't give up the gun, that was way too dramatic. Watching it again, you assume that she's a bent copper that's finally been cornered and caught after years of pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and it makes a lot more sense. She's been playing the long game with Joe to earn her trust and it worked. Kate killed Ryan because he was no longer useful after admitting to cold-blooded murder, then got the only other witness to take the blame. She shot someone, bled the scene, committed countless driving offences and got off with one night in the cells. Not on my watch, says Amy Buckley. Natalie Copley had an epiphany and thinks Kate is working for Carmichael. May Hayati, I hope I pronounced that correctly and I'm so sorry if I didn't, said, aside from Vicky McClure looking stunning, did anyone else feel uneasy watching her expression in that scene where her face is illuminated by the car lights? We talked about that earlier. The harsh lights make her look gaunt, skeletal, menacing and perhaps with foreshadowing something more sinister with her character. What do you think, guys? Here we are again at the Cadiz Bent discussion. discussion. I... I think I would enjoy it as a twist. I think it would be a great twist. However, I don't think it would make any sense because Kate has always, like, why would Kate save Terry? Why would she go out of her way to do that? I just feel like all the things Kate does show that she isn't bent. I don't think she's bent. I, I, okay. I think it would be, if it was true, we'd have to see loads of flashbacks or her doing all these things for it to make sense. Yeah, for you to go, it oh my God, there, really there, well, and could, there, yeah. she did that, that and that, yeah. Yeah, that could be amazing and that's how they need to do it if she is. But I think going into the final episode, the Shrine of Judy analysis is a big fat no. Yeah. It's a no from me. It's a no, but also with a bit of silence. So it's an uncertain no. <laughs> it's a no from me, but I would enjoy it if it was done and done well. Yeah, as as would I, I have to admit. Okay, her well. Karen Grogan thinks her well is definitely who Joe presumed to be her dad. He trained in Scottish police. I didn't notice that. And she thinks that Steve realised this in the interview. She also doesn't think Thurwell is dead as the Spanish police chief bore a suspicious resemblance. Now, I think that's a Jed Herring. Yeah. But it's a very good one. It's a very good one. It's gas. Um, Sarah Flanagan also thinks Thurwell is still alive. The body in the Spanish villa is not Thurwell. He is alive and well. And Roisin's new boyfriend. She's also rooting for Chloe to pull something big out of the bag next week. Yeah, me too. Miss Chloe in this episode. Richard Orwell thinks Thurwell is in with the Spanish police and that he had two random people killed to fake his own death. He believes Osborne reports into Thurwell and he's still out there somewhere running the show. Yeah, very plausible. Him and Nigel Morton in a timeshare together. Someone's in that timeshare and it's coming back for a reason. Jennifer Hughes, I have a question that might be a stupid one. Never on this podcast. The only people that knew of Marcus Thurwell's existence and involvement with the OCG were AC12, right? So how would the OCG know to kill him off if he's dead? And if he's not dead, who tipped him off to escape the apartment? I don't know the answer to those questions. Um, okay, so Gail Vella was murdered because Lee Banks was interviewed by her and she brought up the Lawrence Christopher case. He told his brother who's in the OCG. So the OCG would know that AC12 were looking, well not AC12, that Gail Vella was looking into it and would have killed Turwell off because he was the guy in charge of the investigation. Sorry, who are you, Chloe Bishop? Yeah, sorry. 
<laughs> I think, yeah, I think that um, they would have been tipped off about Thurwell. Sure, they've got eyes and ears everywhere. The second that they, when did we first hear about Thurwell? It was only last uh, week. When Steve brought up his picture on the computer. But only his last name's week. been mentioned before. And surely if the OCG can get into the prisons and whatnot, they could easily just get him killed in Spain. A span, yeah. Does that make that sense? That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's go into the TED segment. Now, this is a self-harm trigger warning. Emma thinks we could see Ted make an attempt on his life in the next episode. I hope not. It's very heavy, but all of his good things in life, his marriage and his job have been taken away from him. So we're not in a great place with our Ted at the moment. Julia Dykes talks about a post-Ted line of duty. She's wondering about the way that Chris was framed between Kate and Steve as they turned to look at the workshop. That was a really cool shot. The light behind them and all that was like a publicity shot for a potential new team post-Ted. Yeah, I'm speechless to you guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want to go there. I can't. I, I don't want to go bear there. The thought and even seeing him putting his head against the glass in the lift, I just—it's so horrible to watch because Ted, his whole life purpose is AC12. Everything he stands for is trying to get to the root of the police corruption. I really hope that he gets the answers he deserves and that he's here to see everything come together. Oh, I, I just as a character, I do worry about him because what is left for Ted? Like, he's got, he's piss poor, no money, he's about to be out of the job, we don't know where he's living, he's not with Roisin, like, I just wonder what sort of life he's going to have after yeah, this, and I'm worried. Yeah, the job is the last thing keeping him going, it's what he gets up for in the morning, and if that's gone, hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm just worried, even for, in terms of a character story point of view, what's left, but... There is a cool idea then that if season seven comes back, we'll see Ted gone rogue and he'll be out of the uniform. Kind of like in season three, when Steve had to team up with Lindsay Denton when he was suspended and investigate and she was still in the police and she kind of got the info for him and stuff like that. That could be really cool. Okay, we're into the miscellaneous section, guys. Oh my God, Colin I'm obsessed. Dunn. Colin Dunn had an email about Andrew Laverty. H will be someone completely unpredictable and will be a shock um, someone who has been there slowly from the first episode, but never but that we've never seen, but as a link to the police, he thinks H could be Andrew Laverty. And then in brackets, Jackie's husband, as if we need explaining. It may be a bit far-fetched. <laughs> Ex-husband. It might be a bit far-fetched, but all we know is that he had plenty of money. It could be that he was a retired policeman. He got Jackie killed, yeah, not okay. just to frame Gates. But as revenge on Jackie, that could be cool because he's been someone, we've heard that name a few times. I absolutely agree that it's going to be someone whose name is familiar enough, but isn't possibly the most obvious one that we're all speaking of. But I think it it definitely, I don't think it can be Andrew Laverty because it has to be a police officer. Osborne yeah, or Carmichael is just going to be boring. Not boring I think Osborne really could be cool just because I feel like if we weren't doing this podcast, I personally wouldn't be paying half as much attention to what was going on. And I would be, I think, somewhat shocked if Osborne was revealed to be H. And they did a bit of a flashback to season one, episode one, when he was trying to pressurize Steve into covering up shooting dead that innocent man what if it's Nicola Rogerson she was brought back in the series obviously to see if Te- if Steve wanted to job somewhere else but oh, like yeah. is it her she's the only person other than Osborne that's been I don't know yeah maybe it's her it's I think it could be a woman guys 
they've kind of teased that a lot in the trailers and yeah. stuff, haven't they? They're like, um, if H is the fourth man and they're like, or a woman. Ross Huntley. She's in prison. Yeah, but would Calling she... Calling the shots. Yeah, we, we did the fourth... Yeah, we don't know what the timeline is for when H was four. Yeah. They obviously all weren't, you know, in it at the same time. So has she turned? I'm really excited, though, that I feel like we are actually finally going to find out who H is we are, on Sunday. It's going to happen. I want to scream. I want to it's scream the happen. road down. It's fine. We've, guys, we have waited for years, like what, three or four years to find this out. Yeah. It's going to happen on Sunday. Oh my God. Oh Jesus Christ. I'm actually, I have a nervous belly. Um, okay. Flick um, sent us an email about the IP address. She has a question. Maybe you guys will be able to answer this um, or I'm too stupid to know what she's talking about. How come they've been able to find an IP address for the person messaging Joe Davidson this time around, yet the IP was really hidden in the last series when user unknown was speaking to Corbett, etc.? Did they know that it was Spain last time as well? But they they I, said that it could have been in Spain, but it could be one of those like they could have done it where like say, you're sitting in Milton Keynes, but you're making it look off. like you're in Spain. Yeah, that's what Amanda Yao Cybercrime said. So I think we did know last time about Spain as well. Um, Gemma sent an email via her friend Anna. And Rebecca, she talks about the crucial interview still to come. Jed tweeted in September 2020 a behind-the-scenes photo of Ted, Steve and Kate all in interviewing position in the AC12 office and all wearing AC12 lanyards. Mm. He hashtagged it, hashtag line of duty six. We haven't seen this scene yet, so I can only assume it's in the final episode. On the table, if you zoom in, you can see a, t- a document titled Timeshare Sale and Purchase Agreement. This raises up several questions and we did speak about this in our C Season, was it our season six Thoughts and Theories episode where we spoke about this in full? Yeah, and we also spoke about a thing in the season five recap and last week because Hannah, you said property a few times and then this was, but you actually said that before we saw this yeah. timeshare picture. And then now I'm thinking Spain, timeshare, Thurwell swapping someone out for him the way they did with Carl Banks and Terry Boyle. He just did it with yeah. himself. Yeah, I just, I feel whatever I said in whatever episode that was is still how I feel. So <laughs> Gemma, Gemma said this brought up some important questions. So whose timeshare is it and why is it an important interview? Is it Marcus Herwell? Is it Bob the Builder? Where are Chloe and Carmichael? Why aren't they interviewing as they usually are in this season? Are one of them being interviewed? Could this have something to do with Steph and the dodgy money that Chad gave her? Eleanor then proposed that Chloe is bent, surely not. She said another very sus scene was Chloe shredding a picture of Osborne and then sharing a knowing look with Carmichael. No, I think she was just under pressure from Pat to shred shit and she didn't want to. She said sorry to Steve really subtly. She just goes, sorry. Guys, I think so too. Shredding a photo of someone is really weird. And if I was just shredding someone's photo, like if I was shredding a photo of my boss and then someone else is in the room, I would share a weird look with them as well because it's a strange thing to do. It's really strange considering it all exists digitally. Like it's still on the computer. You've just shredded an A4 sheet of paper. It's still there. Yeah, no. And I think after her impassioned speech when it came to the Stephen Lawrence case, I just think there's no way it would just be such a weird term for her character and not one that would serve the audience very well David Barr speaks about the series and he says well these are his predictions Ted retires AC12 is dissolved next series please Jesus we'll see the three of them 
try and piece together from the outside of AC12 to finally get Osborne with the help of Rohanson Wandy, who will appear again in episode 7 as a bit of a beacon of light that will be a sad end to series 6. Now that would be cool if we saw H, but he was still in charge. That would actually be a cool twist that we know who it is. Yeah. And then season seven is about finally getting that person out of office. Yeah. I think that's very clever. Carla Duncan brought it all the way back to season one. Brendan, you'll like this. She reckons the raid in season one is connected to what's going on now. The killing, which is when... It's what Chief Osborne tried to cover up for. It was when Steve was part of an AFO team that killed a man in a case of mistaken identity. She actually thinks that killing was done on purpose and Osborne was behind the cover-up and that they did in fact get the right man and they were killing someone to cover up for maybe some information he had on the OCG. Yeah, I loved that. Speaking of which, Rob Moore says the OCG live on. When Joe says the following, Tommy's, uh, when Joe says the following Tommy's death, the OCG splintered into lots of smaller groups. This is significant and gives Jed the freedom to both wrap up Osborne being the fourth man and leave the narrative open for future seasons. A lot seem to think Osborne being H is too simple, but this means he could be just because there were four H's when Dot died doesn't mean they're all now. Mm. Love it. Anything that keeps the show going. Now, Alan McDonald's emails us and he had a we worried about drug testing and Steve's occupational health emails. He said, and this is hopeful for us fans of Steve, he said that drug tests are qualitative and not quantitative. I'm so glad I got through those words. In English, that means drug tests detect the presence of drugs, but not the levels of them. So hopefully, occupational health will be able to see which drugs Steve has taken and not that he's taken too many of them. And all the drugs that Steve has taken are over the counter. So all he has to go is, yeah, guys, my back was a bit sore, took two Panadol. They don't need to know that he took 27 Panadol, four Salpidine, 17 Nurofen, two bottles of whiskey and a bottle of wine. <laughs> and had a great time. And had a ball. So that's positive. Um, Q cut, Brendan, talks about Dot's dying declaration. Take a deep breath. So they made a big thing in the last episode of season five about Dot's dying declaration being Morse code. I actually think it was something called tap code, which is used by prisoners. So fits with Dot's OCG links. Dot tapped four times, paused, then tapped another four times, which gives the letter T for Thurwell. <gasps> Amazing. I'm going to finish things up with an email from Brianne Cullen. This is about the weird fact that Joe and Kate decided to flee the scene of Ryan's murder, even though it was a lawful killing and they were police officers and it was self-defense. And she's worked out a timeline based on characters pulling out their phones, mentioning times, looking at watches. So she's there's just a lost time in the timeline that she wanted to bring up to us. So at 1926, Joe sends Kate a text with the new location. At 1952, Kate arrives at the location and calls Steve. At 1955, Carmichael takes the phone off Steve and Kate hangs up on her. At 1958, <laughs> Kate sends Steve a text with her location and he sees the text. Then, 2050, the time on Chloe's watch when they arrive at the scene where Ryan is dead. That's a lot more time than Brianne expected. What happened in that hour? And then it's 22.09 by the time Kate and Joe step out of the car and surrender so she's suggesting we might get a flashback 
or there was conversations that were had there that we weren't privy to. And that is it for our email theories, shrinepod at gmail.com. Amazing. Thank you for all of those emails. Uh, Watch Ed said this week, not a lot so far, uh, obviously in response to 11 million people watching uh, episode six of Line of Duty. He says, thanks so much to everyone watching. The whole production team is thrilled and flattered by the amazing response. And there's a headline on Deadline.com, which says Line of Duty tops Bodyguard and Downton Abbey to become the UK's uh, uh, most ever watched drama. And Jed retweeted it and said, I'm gutted for whoever did Bodyguard. Hashtag deserved. Which is very funny. And guys, a trailer for the finale is out. It is 30 seconds long, but there is a lot shoved into it. Uh, It begins with a montage of basically, uh, you know, bits that we've seen so far in this season. Um, And we can hear Ted say all of these suspicious murders have been organized by one person. Um, we then see definite written in handwriting and it's spelt wrong, like definitely has been spelt wrong. Um, we then see a flash. It's kind of like a boom, boom, boom. It's Carmichael, Osborne, Thurwell, Ted and Kate. They are the faces that are flashed up in the trailer, which are, I think are supposed to be the lineup of which one of those is H, but fuck knows it could be anyone. Um, We then hear the words, sorry, the words are written on the screen. Every investigation has led to this. And the H in this is a capital H and it falls away by itself to reveal H. Um, We then see at the end, there's balaclava men, Joe in the back of a prison van, but one of those prison wardens. And Ted is saying over a megaphone, AFOs will secure the suspect. Oh my God. Like, I can't wait. Also, somebody did tweet us photographs. They look like um, illegal photographs from the set, from filming. And it shows Balaclava men. It shows at least one of those prison wardens uh, in handcuffs. And I think, I don't know if I looked at it properly, but I think possibly Kate in cuffs. But I, I could be wrong. Oh, I need to go back. I don't think I spotted. I think I just saw the back of her head. Kate might have been in cuffs. Photos. Like her, her hands were cuffed in front of her. Guys, do you know the Possibly. way really briefly, just Brendan, when you just said there about the definitely being written wrong or definite. Yeah. Kate, Carmichael quickly says to Kate in custody that she has to make a statement before she gets released. To Kate, spell definitely This wrong. is obviously how we find out who H is. Oh Somebody God, in their handwriting writes... A, a report or something and they write the word definite and it's spelt wrong and I think that's how we're going to find out who H is. Oh my God, guys, I can't wait. Guys, two things I want to quickly talk to you about before we wrap up. Why didn't they care about the locks on Joe Davidson's door? Yeah, I don't know. After making such a big thing of them, I'm not sure. And finally, the tagline for this series, lies cost lives. Hannah's like, kill them all. (laughs) I am not. Um, That's yet to come into play. Yeah, lies. I don't cost want anyone lives. to die. I'm worried. I'm worried. Well, no, it has it, it has it. Lies cost lives has been in play the whole season. Like, because everyone that's died so far has died because somebody has lied. Yeah, like Jimmy Lakewell died because. Yeah, I, there. I know, but I I do feel like that tagline is leading to like, is it Ted's deception over? You know what I mean? Over the Steph yeah. Corbett fifty k. Do we know if the final episode? It's just it's an hour long, is it? It's an hour. It's an long. hour. Yeah. Okay, there is a I lot to the fit TV in that guide hour. today. Yeah, well, hopefully that means we're getting another season. Yeah, I I really feel I I really feel this time like they're going to wrap a lot of stuff up. 
Okay, well, let's get your, your predictions for the final episode. We're going to find Brendan. out who H is. Yeah, I think so too. And it could be Osborne. Or I'm Thurwell. not going to tell you who it is. Though. Jimmy Thurwell, Marcus Thurwell. <laughs> We're going to find out who H is. And I think a main character, either one of the big three or supporting senior cast will die. Well, I'm going to commit to a theory, oh. a prediction. <laughs> okay, thanks. Joe's a goner. AC12 is no more. Ted has to retire, but is continuing to investigate. He's going back to get that laptop. He's doing Gail Vela's work in season seven. And I do think we'll find out who H is. But like that email, I think season seven will then be, and now we have to we have to bring them down. We have to get them out of office. Yes, and I also would love if Ted's laptop had in more interviews that Gail Vela Gail had Vella. on it. Or can we see more of Gail Vela doing some sort of incredible interview that we Definitely. all completely didn't know about, we've never heard of, and her and Jill Bigelow or her and Roz Huntley. Can we have something like that, that we're like, mother of God, this is how Surely we figured it out. she interviewed Gail Ted. Gail in Spain. Ted. Yeah, I don't really know. I think they were working together. Usually I have predictions for things, but I think that a timeshare is going to come back and I think we'll find out who H is. We've been very vague, haven't we? <laughs> it's really hard to know. It's so hard. No, guys, I think we covered a lot there. Okay, shout out to our patron Kates for this week. Joe Akin, Maeve Flynn, Kyle Penman, Ella Fisher, Jules Cole, Alison Doyle, Carl Mason, Callum Bambury and Laura Henderson. You're so generous. You're so lovely. Thank you so much for contributing to us doing this podcast. It is our pleasure. And if you too want to become a patriot, Kate, and get your name shouted out on next week's episode, which is covering the final episode of Line of Judy, I can't believe it. Search for Shrine of Judy on Patreon. So guys, I'm going to go into the outro. Do you have any last comments to make? I mean, I think as we we said at the start of this podcast, if you've got to the end, thank you so much for listening to the end. This is coming out early because we are hoping to bring you something extra special later on this week um, that you definitely won't want to miss. So mates, like Ted's time in AC12, so too must tonight's episode come to an end. It is hard to believe Six weeks have passed already, but just before we finish up, I have a quick email that I'd like to read out. This is from Claire, no second name. She sent us in the most gorgeous email and we appreciate your words so much. This is the last of it. Can I also give a massive shout out to the Shrine of Judy fans who are bleeding marvellous. How refreshing and heartening to be able to go on Twitter and read messages that reflect all the best qualities of people with none that I can see of the abuse, apart from what I got about my microphone, that so often happens elsewhere. Shrine fans, you are awesome. Now, I'm not getting emotional. This is me talking now, but we had hoped to be recording at least the final episode of the podcast together next week after watching it together, which is how we wrapped season five. Sadly, that's not the case. And mates, we haven't seen each other since before Christmas. But as Claire alluded to in her gorgeous email, how refreshing and heartwarming the last couple of weeks have been. I speak for all of us when I say it has been our pleasure and has brought such giddiness and excitement to our lives in lockdown to do this podcast and to do it together. And it's just been an honour, guys, to be able to talk to you every week, even though I haven't seen you. Yeah, it's been great fun. 
great, great yeah, fun. Yeah, it has been, honestly, like, it has been the light of our lives considering we've been in a lockdown yeah. f- since Christmas, basically. And it's so nice chatting and having the crack with people who are like-minded and a little bit mad and mad into the show, obsessed with the show a little bit too much. It's so nice to have those chats with you every single week. No, I'm so grateful and I can't think of any better way than to spend the last day of your 20s having the crack with two of your best friends and all of these lovely people that we've met along the way. So who knows what will happen on next week's season finale. Will it be the end for AC12 and Line of Duty? Perhaps, but it won't be the end for us. We'll be back to you next Wednesday or as Brendan mentioned a little earlier, maybe sooner in the week with a little surprise if things go according to plan to discuss all things Line of Duty Season 6, Episode 7. Until then, fellas, goodbye. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. Interview terminated. Go on. Piss off. This is TV worth talking about. So we want to hear what you have to say. Find Shrine Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at ShrinePod. 